Use coupon code Climate Change Realty to get $30 off your first order from Nude Foods Market. Visit nudefoodsmarket.com today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, the show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. All right. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. I am very excited and very, very excited, actually, to welcome my guest, Verity Noble. Hi, everyone. Excited to be here. We're really excited to have you. We're going to have an awesome conversation, conversation ranging over a bunch of topics. But of course, before we get started or as we get started, we always like to get a little bit of background on who you are, how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. Awesome. Um, My name is Verity Noble. And I am British, as you can tell from my accent. Um, I am a mum of two amazing little girls who are currently six and seven. And I'm wife to another entrepreneur. I love outdoor activities. You can mostly find me like skiing, mountain biking, trail running, kite surfing, whatever it is. I like to be moving at all times. Um, I also meditate to balance that out a little bit and, and like to have a daily gratitude practice. Is what kind of keeps me sane. Um, and then a little bit about why I'm in Boulder with the British accent probably would mm-hmm. be interesting. So um, back in 2013, I got offered a dream job here with the Unreasonable Institute, which is um, an accelerator for impact entrepreneurs who are affecting at least a million lives. Um, and they, I said, you know, I have a British passport, which probably fills you with horror, but here are, you know, but I could do this. Um, and we got together and it worked out really great. And I worked there for five years and absolutely loved it. And then in terms of how I got into doing what I'm doing, um, I've been obsessed with zero waste for as long as I can remember. Honestly, I look at everything humans are producing and putting into the earth. And I find myself constantly worrying about where the heck it's all going. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Wally, but that's basically what runs through my head. It's, it's this movie, if you haven't seen it, where human race has basically obliterated all the greenery with trash. Um, and it just seems crazy to me that somewhere like Boulder, which claims to be so eco-friendly, didn't have a zero waste store. So I've been wanting to start one for ages and then serendipity hit and I met three other people who wanted to do the same thing. And we got together and made new food happen. You're awesome. Um... How did you originally get connected with like unreasonable? So, so we actually had Will Butler from Unreasonable Group on this mm-hmm. podcast. So what what is Unreasonable Institute? How is it different from like the group? And how did you get connected to begin with? Well, Will actually did used to work for Unreasonable Institute as well. They were part of the same organization. And then Unreasonable Group split off to be a for-profit arm of Unreasonable. Um, and Unreasonable Institute, it then got very confusing because both were doing kind of slightly similar things. And it, after I left, but I think um, there was, you know, some hard decisions to make. And so Unreasonable Institute became uncharted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so now they're, they're definitely very separate organizations. Right. Is one like a nonprofit and one like for-profit? Is that yeah, works? Uncharted is a nonprofit. Unreasonable Group is a for-profit. So you were working with Unreasonable Institute, which was initially a nonprofit? Yes. And how did you like find out about them? How did you get your name in, into the, the hat? How did it work? Um, someone, uh, I was doing an MBA in Spain, which was focused on impact entrepreneurship. Um, and I 
did a kind of um, a consulting gig in South Africa, helping impact companies there. And a friend of mine who was part of that um, sent me an email and said, oh my goodness, I just, this is the perfect job for you. Um, he, oh no, actually that's not entirely true. He had told me that his dream job was this organization called the Unreasonable Institute. And he told me they were in Colorado and what they did. And it's so funny. Like I always tell, tell the guys, like in my head, I had this image of like these cashed out entrepreneurs working from a giant ski chalet. Um, anyway, it turned out it was a load of really young guys straight out of school who were just doing amazing things, working out of a frat house um, of all things. Um, and yeah, then some, somehow the, this job came across my desk, which was um, some kind of like program manager or I ended up being VP of operations, but I think I started as program manager. And because I'd already, I'd founded an, my own company, I had then done an MBA, you know, specifically in impact. Um, and my first company had been an events management company, like right, it was a members club and events management. So basically all these skill sets combined perfectly to be exactly what they needed, which was you know, running this accelerator and, and kind of running all the logistics of housing a ton of entrepreneurs for 10 weeks. Very, very cool. So I want to dig into this zero waste topic a little bit and kind of mm -hmm. talk about how it kind of became top of mind for you. Because I think, so I lived in the UK for, for a little less than half a year and I lived in Australia for a while. And the cultures are very similar. We've all, we've grown up with this idea that you just consume things and then you throw it into the bin and then it disappears. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering like when, because you obviously grew up with the same kind of lifestyle in that sense as, as I did and many of the people listening, when did you start to realize, hold on, this isn't like a black hole that leads to like another planet, like this is going somewhere. When did that kind of start becoming like top of mind to you? I wish I had a better story. Like I maybe should make something up because this is a question I always get. Like I wish, I wish there was like this kind of turning point where I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. But I think maybe I come from um, a line of maybe like people who don't want to waste anything, including time. Like there's mm -hmm. this, Huge. it was in here. There is a, it's maybe a bit long, but there's a saying basically that says, let me, let me live every second of my life to the absolute max. And when I'm sleeping, let me dream so that I don't wait. And that's just me. Like, so I don't waste a second. That's what I want to do. Like, I don't want to waste a second. And I think that rubs off in terms of, I don't want to waste stuff and totally. seeing people just chuck stuff away. Um, and, you know, and I'm a, I grew up on a farm and we, you know, my dad planted like 12,000 trees and, you know, we're really into conservation and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and he'd like anyone who overfills the kettle, he would be like, no, that was just a waste of energy kind of thing. So I think huh. that I maybe kind of, I don't know exactly where I came from, but it was really deep. In, in me and, and my parents are definitely like they're really good at learning from me and really open to it not everyone is um, and they're getting a lot better um, than they were but it's still yeah still a challenge yeah by the way for anyone who's who's listening I'm wearing my my Pink Floyd shirt today Pink Floyd favorite band I have a big soft spot for the UK obviously I have a lot of friends in the UK I dated a girl from the UK but um, yeah, it's actually, it's not, it's not that different from, from the US, I don't think, but we could, we don't need to talk about that. What I do want to talk about is what would like zero waste actually mean? We've talked about this a couple of times in the show, but I want to hear it from you. Um, wow. What does zero waste mean? So I think there's no such thing as zero waste. 
it's just mm. or you know and i mean there's obviously that that lady who who all her waste in a year was like in a mason jar or something i think if you have kids if you have you know sorry my phone rang and it cut this off um i can start that question again um so what is my meaning of zero waste yeah um i think being zero waste completely is almost impossible you know there's that lady who had the mason jar with you know that's all her trash in it for a year and it was a tiny amount but i think if you have kids or you have you know i guess a pretty busy maybe you know in my case more of an international life like you know all my family pretty much is is in the uk but my aunt and uncle and cousins who are here um you know i i do fly back and forwards and that's not exactly zero waste but i'm not about to you know swim the ocean or take a boat so i think to me zero waste is doing the absolute best you can possibly do in terms of waste and and taking every opportunity to avoid waste where you can. One of the sayings that we have at News Foods is don't let perfect get in the way of good. We don't want people to think that we're like super preachy and like, oh, you can only come and shop with us if you're totally zero waste. That is not true. Anything you can do is awesome. Like I want people to do everything, obviously, but anything is better than nothing. Yeah, I, I vibe with that so much. I feel like you can get so caught off in trying to maximize your utility and just be like the best you can possibly be. And it stops you from taking action today. So I think that's really mm-hmm. awesome. But what is New Foods Market? So New Foods Market is very similar to a traditional grocery store. We, but it, the difference is that everything is offered in reusable containers. We provide local organic groceries, prepared meals, which is huge for families, um, and a lot of household products. Um, And for many people, we can completely replace the traditional store. So right now, what you can do is you can buy online and pick up in just 30 minutes, or you can get delivery and we do deliveries on a Wednesday. And the exciting thing is we deliver by bike um, or electric vehicle. Um, So even the, the delivery is pretty zero waste. And in, in just over a month, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to come out, but in mm-hmm. September, we're actually opening our first brick and mortar store, which is both really exciting and really terrifying. Yeah. How did you come up with this idea to open this store? Um, in terms of from the delivery to opening the store or in the first place? Like in the first place, like how did you like find this need and then just like cre- and then create the solution? So I think I was, you know, have been trying to be as waste free as possible for as long as possible. And when there wasn't a zero waste store in Boulder, I would drive to Longmont every three months. I'd take all my containers and I'd go and fill up at Simply Bulk. Yeah. Yeah, And there, Simply Bulk is amazing. Like she, Heidi, who runs Simply Bulk has been a huge supporter of us, which is incredible given, you know, we're probably going to take a few of her clients. Um, Mm. And, you know, she gave us a load of old dispensers. She's given us tons of things and loads of advice and she's been amazing. So I used to go there every three months and fill up on everything and then come back here and then, you know, shop in the traditional grocery store for day-to-day things. And, you know, drives me crazy that people bag their vegetables in plastic bags. I don't know why the heck people do that, but, you know, insane. I'd like, you know, and if I forgot my bag, I'd put people always love this anecdote i'd put like my green beans in my pockets and then i'd get them out of my pockets and put them on the thing and then put them to wait to go through the checkout and then put them back in my pockets 
Hold on. Let's let's explain the alternative though, because I even at the checkout, someone had just been like, "What do you? Why do you have these things in like reusable bags?" I think I don't think there's many people who use you use reusable fruit and vegetable bags instead of plastic. I don't. Right? I actually use nothing. I don't. I don't need to bag them. I always think the person at the cashier is not stupid. They can tell the difference between a banana and a potato. So yeah. I don't need to separate them. I just put it on there. You just put it in your grocery cart. Yeah. Interesting. I use like little fruit, like reusable fruit bags. That's great too. Yeah, but yeah. I, think I it's don't like use a sanitary any thing. I don't know. Yeah, but how, see, that's so funny. I posted on Facebook about how crazy it was that people used plastic bags, and someone posted back and was like, "But it's not sanitary to put it in the cart." And I'm like, "Do you know how many people have picked their noses and touched your fruit and veggies before you've even, you know, they've gone through a million hands before they even get to the display." Hmm. You need to wash them when you get home. Like the car is the least of your worries. Oh God. I love this show. I learned something new every week. Uh, I love it. Uh, yeah. I never, I never considered that. I don't know. I guess it made it easier to like take the stuff home. Yeah. I don't know. And have it separated, but yeah. you just, I mean, well, I'm sure you just, you know, buy from your own store now, but one thing I want to say about simply bulk before we, we move on mm-hmm. from talking about that is they had this, this poster in that store that really stood out to me. Cause I'm a, I used to eat like a lot of peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And I think it said that like in America alone, we, there's 64 million plastic jars for peanut butter just in the U.S. consumed every year. Whoa, that's crazy to think about. I, honestly, I'm like amazed that it's only 64 million jars. Really? It says 330 Maybe million people. Million. Maybe 640 million. I don't know. I don't know. It's, I mean, if you think about it, like we'd get through at least a jar a month. And I think, you know, to me as a Brit, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are like the most American thing ever. And what's so funny is that in England, I don't really eat peanut butter a lot. As soon as I'm in the States, I'm suddenly eating peanut butter all the time, even though like no one prescribed that I should do it. Just like this thing. Yeah, I I eat almond butter now. Yeah, I love almond butter. It was making me break out. But yeah, the organic stuff's so expensive. Um, Anyways. We do almond butter and nude foods and it's incredible. And I think it was organic as well, right? Oh yeah, pretty much everything we have is organic. Very, very cool. Well, what what does organic mean again? Oh, that's a great question. For us, it either has to be certified organic, which is a big hoop to jump through, or we work with a lot of local farms who are not certified organic, but they use organic practices, so no pesticides, um, no weed killer, et cetera. So they use natural products. Really, really cool. So if I understand it correctly, you started two ventures before you started Nude Foods, right? Yes. One in the UK and then was it simply, simply the simple, startup? Simple startup, simple startup. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I'm wondering what your experience starting two companies, what you've learned from those two, how that you've kind of helped you start this one. Um, great question. So I think the biggest thing that I've learned is having three other incredible co-founders is a game changer so my first venture I was a solo founder and that's a lot of work and a lot of pressure on your shoulders because you know I had an amazing team of people there but no it's hard for people to care as much as you do when they're not a founder Mm -hmm. and then the second one I started with my husband which was definitely more fun to have another person to bounce ideas off and but then with four co-founders all working at maximum capacity the speed at which we get stuff done is incredible and the best thing of all is that no one has to do what they don't want to do so we have 
four very different skill sets. We go on great, but we four different skill sets. And each of us looks at the other person's job and is like, man, I could never do that. Mm. And yet each of us loves what we do. So it's just, it's amazing. But equally, I have advised a lot of startups over my time. Like I mentor a, a few different places. And one of the hardest things is having multiple co-founders. So it's like this double-edged sword. If you get the right co-founders, it's game-changing. If you don't, it can be the source of a ton of drama. Right. So what's your role in New Foods right now then? Um, I am kind of on the customer experience side. So mm -hmm. I do all the customer communication, you know, working out what their experience is like for ordering and delivery, what their experience is like in the store. I do all the marketing. Um, and then, you know, general, a lot, there's a lot of kind of strategic things that we all do together and we just kind of split that up. So, you know, a lot of HR I do, so hiring people, onboarding them. Um, and then Rachel runs all the sourcing and operation side of things. She's a total powerhouse. Jimmy is incredible because he was a builder before he co-founded Nude Foods. And we we're like, hmm, how's that going to translate? And then, of course, we decided to open a store and he has run the entire project like wow. a total champ. I mean, amazing. And then Matt um, is, you know, we call him old Matt because Matt and I are the same age. And we've got <laughs> two, Matt, two Matts in the company. And we're, Matt and um, Jimmy and Rachel are kind of the, the younger ones. And then Matt and I are the old farts. Um, so Matt and I bring kind of a little more um, gray hair to the table, I guess. So he's got a commercial kitchen um, and he's, you know, so he's done a lot of the, jumped through a lot of the hoops that we need to jump through in order to get, you know, all our certifications, et cetera. So he does, you know, the accounting and finance side of things. Um, and, and we always joke, he does the things that no one else wants to do. And he does right. them with great joy. So you're are you currently only servicing the city of Boulder at the moment? Yes, for delivery and then pick up. We get a lot of people coming pick up from further afield. Oh, cool. So where is this new like physical store going to be? Um, it is Walnut and 32nd Street. Okay, awesome. I'm going to come check it out. Um, Yay. Any, any idea when it's going to open up? Um, I hate to put a specific date on it, but let's to. say mid-September. Oh, okay. So that's soon. Yeah. It's yeah. happening. We just painted the refrigerator last week. It's crazy. Nice. Um, what are you guys' plans for expansion? Like, oh, actually, before we talk about that, I want to know what it was like to get started. Um, if the company started last year, right, in 2020. Mm -hmm. So yep. what was it like getting started during, you know, one of the craziest years ever? I can attest to that story as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of crazy. Um, we kind of met. I think late 2019 started having regular meetings in early 2020 with a view to opening a very kind of, I guess, quick and dirty store in June. Um, you know, we had a space, it wasn't particularly amazing, but we were going to test out like opening a store in there. Um, and I think even we were going to do it probably like a bulk store, like with refillable, you know, you bring your own containers and refill. And anyway, then the pandemic hit and we, I can remember the meeting and we were like, huh, should we, should we just like wait this out and then, you know, launch the store later? Thank goodness we didn't. We decided to pivot and change to a delivery model. Um, and that was the best thing we could have ever done because it was so low risk. I mean, we each put in two grand. So we had $8,000 of startup capital and wow. we were, you know, cash flow positive within 
a couple of months. It was really quick. Um, and it was so easy because we were just delivering one day a week and we could get pre, we got pre-orders by the end of the day on Sunday. Then we changed it to, to lunchtime on a Monday, but we used to say order by the end of the day on Sunday and then you get your delivery on Wednesday. So it enabled us to do just in time ordering. Um, and it was very simple. We're definitely adding a ton of complexity by opening a store. But basically we grew really fast and you know, we aimed for three new customers a week and we got 17 or 18 new customers a week. Um, but you know, the issue is with that is people like to be able to kind of see and feel and touch things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we got the hardcore, the, you know, the more dedicated zero wasters kind of really into it. Like we have 45 star reviews on Google already. People absolutely oh, yeah. love this, but in order to reach the masses, which is what we want to do, we want to make being zero waste completely easy, simple, like going to a traditional grocery store. Basically, we want to make it a no-brainer. So that's when we decided that we were going to open the store. We were kind of keeping an eye out for a location, and then this perfect one came up. We are like, should we do it? Should we not? Should we do it? Should we not? And we did it. Cool. We're doing it. So to be clear, you guys don't use any sort of packaging when you deliver your food? Or do people buy container reusable containers from you? Or do they yeah, continue so, their own? How does it work? So imagine it's like a normal store, but everything is in mason jars. Um, and you just go, you get your order in a mason jar. And when you're finished with it, you just put your mason jar in the box outside your door and we'll pick it up when we do your next delivery. And you pay a deposit per mason jar and then you get that back when you return the jar minus a small cleaning fee. Do you think something like this is actually like a scalable long-term solution to like all these issues we have with packaging. I mean, you we're also used to like getting cardboard boxes delivered to our house, using plastic containers all the time. Do you actually think this could scale out to the rest of the country? Um, that's a great question. I think because we're making nude foods as close to a traditional grocery store as possible, we do think it's scalable. So, you know, the bulk stores, um, I think are too crunchy for most where you have to go and refill your own container and where it. it just takes too long. Mm-hmm. Um, getting people to change their habits is hard. So making the change as small as possible is key. The biggest challenge for us is that our business model is more labor intensive than most grocery stores. Most stores, you know, they buy in product and then they sell the product and that's it. Whereas we, you know, buy in product in giant containers, which are ideally reusable or recyclable. Then we distribute it into mason jars. Then we sell it. And then we have to collect the mason jars and clean them and refill them. So there's definitely, you know, more steps to what we're doing, but we're constantly kind of streamlining the process and and making it better. Right. So what exactly is like wrong with plastic to begin with? You have like a firm explanation for why plastic plastic is bad news. Can't you like recycle plastic right now? Yeah. Let me tell you about recycling plastic. Um, I, I obviously know I've got a answer, start but... here somewhere. I'm just yeah. looking for. And um, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I don't know. I'm just thinking about like alternatives to plastic, like using like algae or something rather than just getting rid of packaging completely. I'm just trying to find a way to like get this, uh, this change going as quickly as possible. Cause as you, we're going to talk, there's lots of pollution from plastic. Yes, I know. Right. While we're speaking, literally it's being poured into the ocean. Um, so what is wrong with plastic? Cause people like, but it's recyclable. Like I met with a, uh, someone who said, you know, oh, I can provide my product. I'll just take all the packaging off and recycle it before I give it to you. And I'm like, well, that, that's not really the idea. 
Um, so plastic basically has a very limited value as a commodity because its quality degrades every time it's reheated. So consequently, most plastic is only reprocessed once before it goes into landfill. So basically what we're doing is downcycling it rather than recycling it because it's you know, such a limited life. Plus countries like the US and the UK and the West actually don't have the ability to recycle here all the plastic that we're producing. So what they do is they package it up and traditionally it was being sent off to China because China was like this big, you know, they were taking all this recycling and apparently recycling it. But China recently closed its doors to um, foreign waste. Um, and so it's going to, you know, it's going to Malaysia, it's going to Thailand and a Greenpeace documentary showed that much of it is then either burnt or dumped. So basically... What does dumped mean? Like into landfill, into mm -hmm. the ocean, just into massive, you know, trash sites. So the best thing we can do is to not use plastic at all because I just don't think there's any guarantee that it's being recycled anyway. And even if it is recycled, it can basically happen once. Mm. And I think yeah. I read somewhere like there's 6.4 billion tons of plastic produced a year or something. Oh, no, since in time, since kind of like plastic was being used for packaging and we've only recycled like 9% of it. Yeah. So what, where is the rest of it? <laughs> exactly. That's my, that's the thing that keeps me going. Where is the rest of it? There's like, there's got to be mountains. Like, like I'm just terrified. Like when I, I, the trash truck just went past my house. Uh -huh. And we, we put our trash out like once every month because we just don't produce any trash. Sweet. But, I'm, but I've been remodeling, so there's been a bit. And, um, um, and I just saw it go into the back and I saw all the other stuff. And that is where my heart is like gripped with fear. Like, where is this going? Yeah. Because my children are screwed and not many no, people no, seem to care. No, no, no we're going to be good. We, we got it, Verity. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna really come up with some solutions. we got it. Well, I want to I want to ask you about what yeah. you think are some of the, the most compelling solutions to problems like this. Like, do you think that business people are the ones who can kind of solve these problems while still making profits? Or are you more on like the government side? I know we all have to work together, but I wanted to to hear what you think about because obviously you worked with um, with Unreasonable, who's mm -hmm. focused on using businesses to solve these BFPs, yeah. these big, big problems. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on using the free market to fix these systems and clean stuff up. Well, I'm still making money. Yeah, I think it's a combination. I'm super into the for-profit model because that's, you know, my background. I think the for-profit model is going to solve these issues best in a capitalist society. Mm -hmm. um, if it doesn't make money, if it's not self-sustaining, it can't grow as fast as possible. Nonprofits definitely have their place and they address those issues that businesses haven't yet found an opportunity to do something in, but I just feel the for-profit approach can speed things up. However, you know, you just mentioned government and I think they have a huge responsibility to legislate. You know, I, we were talking this morning, like, you know, the government is now forcing people to get vaccinated, which I personally think uh, is awesome. Slow down. Um, what, what was or that? Maybe not forcing, but no, some, they're saying government, no, government employees need to be vaccinated. In the U.S.? In the U.S., something like, I can't remember. It was... That's not really the point of the story, but they're, you know, they're, they, they can legislate for certain things, right? And they could do it quickly. Like in COVID, they changed, you know, they had a mask mandate and that was really fast and they had to do all these things quickly. You know, we're in this climate crisis 
why the hell are they not legislating to make changes? Like ban single-use coffee cups, like just like aggressively force people to change because unless people are forced to change, they're not going to do it because they can't see like trash is just taken away. Like leave, I reckon leave everyone's trash out for a week and that would scare the crap out of people. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that, that one before. But the difference with like, what about someone who says that the government doesn't really have a place to be telling them what to do in their day-to-day lives? For example, they can go to the store and choose the zero waste coffee cup or the, the, you know, the cheaper plastic one. At least they have a choice in the free market, but when you're legislating something, you have no choice. What about someone who doesn't want to give all the power of what they do in their day-to-day life to the government? How can we get those people to work with us? On these issues well i guess she's like, it's like, a crisis it's too late we need we need I, action now yeah but i guess it's a bit like you know stopping at traffic lights and driving on the right side of the road and you know there there is legislation for things that save people's lives and mm-hmm. this this may well be something that saves people's lives like it's just a longer term issue rather than so immediate as driving on the wrong side of the road yeah no no i, li- I like that response a lot and i appreciate you sharing your thoughts um I just want to know what it's like for you with your personal experience. It sounds like you've been kind of, you're, in, you're interested in like free market capitalism, and, but you've been trying to create businesses that make you happy rather than going into like financial markets and trying to make as much money as possible. So how has that led you to like have a happy and successful life when it comes to like focusing on passion rather than like sheer income generation? At least that's the gist I get from your career. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's great. Um, and I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, I think often, well, I don't know. Um, that's a hard question to answer. I, I don't feel I could ever do anything else other than following my passion. I think if money was my passion, I'd fo- follow that. And that would be my kind of well, first thing. That's an endless road. Right? And I mean, my husband and I were talking about this at the weekend. And like, you know, how much is enough? At which point do you say, okay, I have enough? Um, and my theory is that you always have enough right? You got to, you find a way of, of, I mean, you can't always find a way of making it work. You know, I, as we live in Boulder, we come from an incredibly privileged position in Boulder. It's a, you know, or in England and, and yeah, the U S exactly. as well. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's just, you know, yeah, we're, we're this, that's why I'm always telling my kids like you're in the top 0.1% of, you know, you don't know how lucky you are. Um, right. and, so it's just, yeah, it's something I've done. And I kind of feel like if you're doing something you love, the, the money can follow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we've been very lucky in, you know, doing, I've ha- luckily had, you know, these successful companies and, and made some good investments, a lot of them in vegan foods, actually, mm-hmm. vegan food companies. Um, and so, you know, I have a sustainable lifestyle that enables me to, you know, do something like nude foods where I'm not earning any money right now because it's still a startup. And, uh, yeah. you know, the young previous one, stuff I've done, yeah, it's a very young one, but the previous stuff I've done has enabled me to get income from elsewhere to do what I love. So, yeah. I mean, I think I would always, if I had any advice for people, I'd almost say like, go do that corporate thing for a few years, earn a load of money, invest wisely, and then use that to go and, because I actually also think you learn a lot from these big corporations. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot to learn from going and working for a company that has grown from once a startup to now, you know, a billion dollar organization or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good to have that, that base. But I mean, 
you know, I also know people who do startups that live on 50 bucks a week and they mm -hmm. can survive. Hopefully I can get there soon. Yeah. Just keep limiting, limiting, limiting. Uh, tell me about your experience starting your, your previous company, Simple Startup. Um, well, what, what was it? Simple Startup, finance and accounting company. So uh, my husband is a finance whiz. And so Simple Startup was really his baby. He just happened mm -hmm. to be like, he was like, I need a kind of marketing customer experience, like a strategic co-founder. And I was still working for Unreasonable at the time. And he was like looking around for this. And he was sort of like, you know what? It's kind of this, this description of what I'm looking for is kind of you. And I was like, oh, okay. So <laughs> I, have, I have no interest in finance and accounting, if I'm honest. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, do I really want to do this? But actually what really piqued my interest was that he's an incredible teacher as well. Like, no, he's not a teacher, but he, he is very good at teaching people. And he helped me understand kind of the intricacies of, of financial modeling, everything. And that inspired me to actually be the person at Simple Startup who could do a translation between the finance experts that we have and entrepreneurs, because, you know, I'd been you know, I'm not a finance expert, so, but I was able to kind of get the inside track and then translate that and make it really accessible. Because I think that what scares a lot of entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs is the financial side and understanding like, how do I read a financial statement? How do I plan out my business financially, et cetera? Um, and so Simple Startup has got, you know, it's a different kind of impact, but, you know, they, they work with a lot of impact entrepreneurs. And the whole idea is making it really easy for companies, for awesome companies to grow. Yeah. So I was supposed to only be there six months to kind of get it off the ground, but I ended mm -hmm. up staying five years. So I was clearly having wow. a good time. Yeah. Um, what, what else are you passionate about beyond like zero waste startup companies? Anything else that comes to mind? Um, well, I mean, the other thing that I have traditionally been really um, passionate about is homelessness in Boulder, working with the unhoused, because that, you know, I think, I don't know if I'm just, I find my, I just find it soul destroying that people are outside feeling unloved and, you know, sure. don't have a place to go. It just, and it just, I find it insane that a wealthy country like the US, in particular, a wealthy city like Boulder allows this to happen to our fellow human beings. Um, you know, not only do we let them be unhoused, but we also kind of criminalize it people aren't even allowed to cover themselves with a blanket. So if a homeless person in the middle of winter was on the side of the street covered in a blanket, they could be ticketed. Right. Because and have to pay. Yeah. But I mean, they, I think they're pretty unenforceable tickets, honestly. Um, I've got to admit, I haven't been super involved in, in the homelessness probably for the last six months since the winter. Yeah. Um, but, for the six months prior to that, I did a deep dive into the issue. I like spoke to every person I know. I made a video actually with a friend about homelessness in Boulder. And I talked to a lot of the unhoused community in Boulder. And I've got to say that all I have met with is awesome people, like kind, friendly, grateful. Um, you know, you see a lot of vitriol on next door about the crime and all this other stuff. But I've honestly never met uh, anyone who wasn't super kind, I've got, I mean, I have a blog post about it somewhere, but you know, I had great experiences and I, and there's an amazing lady who runs a nonprofit called feet forward in Boulder and I actually bought her a car. So I figured that lets me off the hook of doing much for, the, for a few months while I focus on new foods market. Um, cause I hope I'm having an impact. 
you know, through her. And, and actually what I learned through my deep dive was this is such a hard topic to understand. Like mm-hmm. I could not get my head around it at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, there were just, I spoke to like, you know, CEOs of homeless charities. I spoke to homeless individuals. I spoke to, you know, all sorts of people. And there isn't a clear solution at all, um, which yeah. is what makes it so hard and totally hard for someone like me who's kind of like action oriented. Like, I know I can find the answer. I just need to work harder. Um, oh, God. So, yeah, it, that's, it's really challenging. Um, yeah. It's a really complex problem that we've been dealing with for, for decades. Um, yeah, I'm obviously not one to talk about it. I'm no expert when it comes to homelessness. Obviously, I work with people who are buying homes every single mm-hmm. day. So I'm kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. But it's just like a, a symptom of a deeper rooted problem in society. And it's hard to like come up with these solutions to these big problems. But it's awesome to have people like us work, trying to work on stuff like that all the time, or at least having it be top of mind. What do you think about like a universal basic income? Just wanted to throw that in there. Cause I, I feel like that's like a solution to a lot of huge problems. It's mm. like, I don't, I don't really believe in equality of outcome, but equality of like opportunity, like sounds okay. I think. I think that sounds amazing. My concern is that then we'd just see inflation and that universal basic income would end up netting out to zero because everything would just kind of become more expensive because more people could buy it and therefore people on the universal income would be almost the same as if they had zero i, I mean that's just what i've never thought about that before that's just what came into my head then Fair enough. Um, but i think it's i think it'd be a great idea but i think you know what everyone worries about is you know people just doing nothing and taking from the state etc um i think mental health uh is probably the key place that we could start yeah. Um, because everyone I spoke to, they were all lovely, but there was definitely mental health issues among many mm-hmm. of them. And that's what I find so hard about it because it's basically like putting a load of five-year-olds out, leaving a load of five-year-olds out on the street because a lot of the people I spoke to have, you know, mental health issues that really leave them pretty vulnerable and with an inability to get help. So, you know, there's a guy called James who is, uh, he has MS and he's in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and he's not, he's hard to understand because of his MS and, you know, his just has a lot of challenges and he's homeless on the streets. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do we let that happen? That, that's what I'm just mind boggled. Like someone who literally cannot help themselves. He can't work. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's complicated. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, I mean, honestly, I have a lot of things, a lot of things I could say to that, but I think like it would get up into the, get us into this deep conversation about the way society works, human yeah. nature, the wild. But I think it's, it is top of mind with a lot of people, especially after this pandemic. And I mean, it's similar with climate change, like in action, I think people are kind of done with an action, especially with homeless tents and encampments piling up like back mm-hmm. in California, like people want action. And I think as more and more young people who have grown up in a world where they're seeing these problems over and over again, who are dissatisfied and have the means to change them because they come from good education and are willing to work hard. I'm very yeah. optimistic for the future. I think we can, we can fix a lot of these problems. It's going to take people willing to work on them rather than being 
just purely motivated by profit incentive, which is what I think yeah. we've seen over the last 40 years, uh, from what I can tell, which I think yeah. is obviously not working. It's not a long-term scalable solution yeah. to build an economy, just focusing on making as much money for yourself as quickly as possible. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. So at the end here, I want to talk about something we haven't talked about on the show at all. And I always try to avoid talking about because I, I always get ostracized or whatever. Cause so, so I eat a fully plant-based diet. Verity, you're also completely plant-based. So I want to hear your kind of testimony on why you decided to go vegan, as you would call it, of course. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. There are so many benefits to being vegan or eating plant-based is definitely the more politically correct kind of version these days. Cause vegan, I think is, is kind of more of a way of life, whereas plant-based is a way of eating. Um, I'm probably more on the vegan scale because I'm pretty outspoken about the whole thing. Um, so it's been proven over and over again that it's better for your health. Like I read this book called, what was it called? Oh, How Not to Die. And it was this really thick book. It was huge. Like it's really a website, the, doc, the doctor or something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like, but the book was massive. And I actually read the entire thing, which was quite impressive actually, because it was enormous. And I could have written the book in two words, go vegan. I mean, literally study after study proved that being vegan is healthier, it's better for you, etc. And and for myself, I've totally proved that. Like, I mean, I've always been Same. healthy, but now I run faster. I, you know, I I can knock out super potato on my mountain bike twice a week. Like, no problem. Like, it's just easy. I'm in the best shape of my life at 42. Um, I my I never had like get big breakouts but I just never get a spot now never like since going vegan never um and you know then you know the reason I turned vegan was the animal impact honestly um just the thought that my desire for something tasty because don't get me wrong meat is freaking delicious I you know I am not I'm not discounting that it is absolutely delicious fish is delicious cheese is delicious vegan cheese is super they're trying, but I haven't found <laughs> anything that's really good at replicating it yet. Um, and But the idea that something that I just enjoyed a little bit more than something else was going to put another being's life through absolute hell was just like I couldn't do it anymore. And particularly, I think after I, I went vegan after having children. And as soon as I had babies mm-hmm. of my own, I was like, how can I eat someone else's baby? Like mm-hmm. just seemed insane to me that we do that and um yeah so anyway if and i know actually the last thing is of course the environmental impact we can i think we can only feed nine billion people on our current diet but if everyone went plant-based we could feed something like 13 billion in the world so yeah and and it produces you know there's so much water that goes into producing an animal and so much grass, you could just, you know, eat the, eat the plants that it's eating and you'd be fine. Like cut out the middleman. Why do you think people get so pissed off when you say that you're vegan? Oh, I know exactly why. I think it's called cognitive dissonance. Hmm. Um, it's where they know that what they're doing, you know, they, they tell themselves certain stories to make it okay about what they're doing. Um, you know, they disassociate the meat that they pick up in the supermarket from the cute little lambs that they see at the farm on the weekend. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we call it beef and bacon and, you know, all different names for a lot of things. Whereas I get my kids, if they want to eat it, they have to call it pig or cow. Um, That's funny. And, you know, my kids do eat meat sometimes. Like my little one, my God, apparently she's with my parents at the moment and she put away a six ounce steak the other day. I'm like, <laughs> she's six years old, what the heck? Um, well, she's not with me. She's getting her meat on. Um, and, and, you know, I'm open to that, but I equally, you know, I haven't shown them some of the more uh, scary kind of evidence yet because I think they're too young to see a lot of those mm-hmm. things. But as soon as they hit an age where I think they can handle that, they're going to be seeing those and uh, hopefully, you know, realizing that their their taste buds don't deserve another animal's pain and suffering. And equally, vegan food is delicious. Like Beyond there is so much. And my taste buds have changed since being vegan as well. I now well. find things so much more flavorful and tasty. It's amazing. So we've been vegan, I think the same amount of time, right? It's like six years. Yeah. 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 So, you, so here, here's my thing is that, when I went vegan like six years ago, like it was honestly like it, it was whatever, giving up meat, giving up cheese, being healthier, all those consequences, um, negative or positive, I was ready to deal with. Mm-hmm. But what I wasn't ready to deal with was when I go out to dinner with people and then I have to all of a sudden become like this center of attention at the dinner table when we're ordering and be like, uh, yeah, I don't know, no meat, no cheese. And then everyone like looks at you and you have to like deal with this. Like, I'm like, I don't even care. Like, I'm not even that picky. Like, I'm just here to like have a good time. And everyone's like, oh, he doesn't eat this. He doesn't eat that. You got to make sure you take care of him. And I, just, I always tell people, I always just like, don't bring it up until like the last minute and the waiter comes. It's like, oh, by the way, uh, can I just get like just the vegetables, please? And everyone's like, what? Like, but when I first started, it would be like, I'd be like the center of attention. And everyone's like, got to make sure you take care of him. It's like, I don't want to be taken care of. I just don't want to eat the freaking meat. Why is it such a big deal? That was like, a, that was like the only negative consequence I could think of from switching to plant-based yeah. is that you become like this. That's why, and people always are like, oh, that's so weird. Usually vegans are more like you, like outspoken, like what I'm doing yeah. is awesome. And I do love the ideals, but I hate telling people what to do. So I, I'm not the kind of vegan who's going to be like, you have, even though I think it's better, I have all the evidence. Yeah. People will just be like, like, fuck you. Like, I don't want to hear it from you at all. So like, I, I only don't tell people if they, I only tell people if they ask, and I wonder if it's an age thing, but more like people are always just interested um yeah i think in in my experience um and they don't the only the only argument i hate and my husband uses this argument so i really hate it but (laughs) he says why do they call fake meat by the same name like why do we have like vegan chicken and the and i'm like because a lot of vegans used to eat meat and they enjoyed it so they're trying to recreate the experience it's not that i hate the taste of these foods i love the taste of those foods they're incredible i mean god as soon as they do a lab-grown steak i'm eating it i cannot wait it'll be delicious um uh but yeah there needs to be a frame of reference and but most people are just really interested actually more and more of my friends so many of my friends actually are now um eating so much more plant-based like actually one friend that she, we did a cha- I did a challenge with her and I was like the coach and she got together like 12 people and they did a 30 day vegan challenge and she's been vegan ever since. And that was That's two cool. or three years ago. Um, and then my 
my family eats mostly plant-based now in England. Um, my best girlfriend from school, like it's amazing the number of people, like they might not, they might not have a great conversation with you that first time and be like pissed off, but you have put a seed of doubt in their head and that seed will grow. Well, first off, um, you live in, you know, you live in Boulder, so there's yeah. a tendency towards that. Um, yeah. In regards to putting a seed in people, I love to lead by example, you know, like I'm not yeah. telling everyone to go donate 50% of their commissions. I feel like I, there's no need for me to say anything. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And if yeah. you guys think I live a successful life and you want to be successful, you emulate people you want to be like, Yeah, but um, I agree. Number two, this, I, I, don't you think a lot of those like plant-based meats are like unhealthy? Like they're made out of like seed oils and stuff. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't eat them very often, but I like that, you know, like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I eat as many of those as I can, but often I was more talking about like the, the descriptions of them. Why do they need to call vegan food by the same name? It's like, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll, I'll have a Beyond Burger every now and again, but yeah, not, not too often. I prefer to keep it like, it, I mean, cook, it can, cooking can get challenging or like just actually cooking for, two kids and a husband can get really challenging, particularly when three of them are not vegan. Mm. Um, and I only really cook vegan food. So right. that's, that's always a challenge. Um, trying to make it, you know, cause I think everything's delicious. Whereas they are a little <laughs> picky. <laughs> sure. And everyone's going to be picky. So that's why I'm, I'm thinking about, I would love it if like lots and lots of people adopted this plant-based diet, but I can't think of a realistic way to at least to speed up the adoption. Cause obviously it's growing in popularity every mm -hmm. single year. I don't, people being aware of the necessity of, you know, using less emissions and eating less meat, it's all really, really important, but like, I don't know how to strategically, I just, I refuse to be the person to force someone to do something. So I'm always trying to come up with creative ways to incentivize people with better options to make smarter decisions. I don't, what do you think about that when it comes to like eating plant-based? I think if everyone ate plant-based, it would, there's so many like solutions out there, but yeah. it's the, ado the adoption is always the problem. It's not the lack of solutions. It's the yep. fact that we have free choice. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I'm all for like scaring the crap out of people. Like I, I'm, I'm the activist well, who will stand there with a TV screen showing people what a, you know, what a factory farm looks like. What, yeah. what does this animal look like? You know, look at, look at this cow crying for its baby because it's been pulled away from it after two days because, hey, the baby doesn't get the cow's milk. We get the cow's milk. Like, and mm. also, why the hell are humans drinking cow's milk? It's for cows. Yeah, it's baby Literally, cow feed. it's made for cows. To fatten the calf. Yeah. People wonder why they're overweight. Exactly. It's just insane. Like, and it's just become this cultural thing. Like we don't eat the, you know, you don't eat monkey milk. You don't, you know, elephant milk, none of those things. Why cow's milk? Yeah. I don't know. Well, thank you for sharing. We never talk about this on the show because it's very divisive I've found, but I wanted to, to chat with you about it because I thought it would be fun. But I guess my last question I always love to ask people is what advice do you have for uh, young people who are passionate, specifically you, what, what advice do you have for people passionate about starting their own impact business? Um, I would say make sure the business model works. Um, because, you know, if you're just focused on the impact, you're not, so it's a bit like, actually I don't know if I've got a good analogy, but if, if it doesn't work, if the business model doesn't work, you're not going to make any impact. So it has to work in order to make extra impact. So for example, you know, we could reduce 
the price of various things and sell more and make a bigger impact in terms of saving jars, but we're not going to survive if we do that because we won't be financially viable. Um, I think surround yourself with other passionate people as doing it on your own can be really hard. Um, and start small, like find a way to lean test the idea without spending a load of money. You know, for mm -hmm. example, like I said, we started Nude Foods Market with $2,000 from each of us, four Amazing. founders. And because we're only delivering once a week, it was really fast to build up some cash in the business. We proved the concept with very little risk. And now we're taking the big leap of opening a store, you know, which is costing a fortune. So it's a lot more so risky. Impressive. But we were able to iron out a lot of the issues and learn so much by starting small. So, you know, like... Um, Go to a, I always think go to a lean startup weekend or a startup weekend kind of thing. And, and you can test. So there was a, one company that I tested, which we nearly started, but we ended up not doing it. It was a career mentoring website. And mm -hmm. we literally went for a weekend and we built a kind of fake website. We spent 50 bucks on Facebook advertising. And, you know, we measured. So got clicks. Exactly. We measured people's involvement by clicks or by if they gave us their email address. And you can't go around and do like, you know, the old way was go do a survey and ask your customers what they buy from you. Because people, what they say and what they do are two very different things. So if someone says, yeah, this is a great idea, I'd definitely buy that. Yeah, that means nothing. Go and see if they will actually, you know, click on a product on a fake website. And people don't tend to mind, say, hey, we're just, you know, maybe the page pops afterwards saying, hey, we're just testing the demand for this product. Um, we'll email you as soon as, you know, we've produced it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then advice for people who are interested in propagating zero waste, plant-based, low carbon footprint, uh, I call it ideologies or just, you know, movements and advice for them, get that stuff out there. I think just every opportunity you have to not put something in the trash, take it. So, you know, for example, we are just moving back in after a remodel, which is a lot of trash, but I literally followed the painters around and like, don't use that, do use the, you know, all that stuff. And of course it takes me twice as long to do everything because instead of just chucking in the trash, I'm, you know, posting it on Facebook. There's these great groups called buy nothing groups. And there's like buy nothing Boulder North, buy nothing Boulder South. And you'd be amazed what people would take off your hands. Like someone, I just, while we were even having this conversation, someone just came and picked up a lovely scarf from outside my house, which I posted. I didn't need it anymore. So someone else can enjoy it. Right. And then mm -hmm. someone else is later picking up this lush shower gel that I didn't use and they're dropping off a hairbrush that they don't need anymore. And, you know, it's just like you can find a lot of stuff just that people don't want anymore or give it away to people who do want it. And it's just a great feeling. Like I actually love giving away this stuff totally. or, you know, sell it. Um, there's also Boulder Babies Free Swap, which is amazing for kids stuff, which so I just got rid of all my kids outgrowing clothes yesterday um and then what else we obviously shop at nude foods that's a great way to be zero waste um mm -hmm. or you know shop in bulk take reusable bags um don't put your groceries in but you know don't put the produce in the bags like we we're talking about earlier um and bike i bike everywhere i have an electric cargo bike my two kids go on the back it has you know i've had i've i did it before it's trendy and in, in boulder like everyone has one now but you know, I've had mine for five years. We have one vehicle, which we hardly ever use and we bike everywhere. And I've been doing, you know, in London when I was there, you know, I lived there for 10 to 15 years, about 10 years ago. And we biked every day and we actually used to have a sign on our door that said, if you think about taking the car, just don't. Because 
we always regretted it, like especially in London with the traffic. But whenever I get in my car here, I just feel bad. Like I could be out cycling in this, especially in Boulder. I mean, the weather's freaking oh, yeah. gorgeous. Just be careful because people use their phones, which is a whole other thing that I will get on my high horse about. Um, in England, it's illegal to touch your phone while driving. Here, people are freaking texting. Talk. I mean, it's ridiculous. Huh. Um, but um, yeah, get on your bike. Or get walk, on the bike. Or just, you know, don't drive. It's just so, yeah, driving's kind of depressing. Fair enough. Well, Verity, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And before I let you go, we got a coupon for your, for your uh, company, right? For people to buy yes. some stuff. You get to choose what the coupon code is. Okay, I get to choose. We're going to make the coupon code Climate Change Realty, and it's going to be at the beginning of the podcast as well. Perfect. So they're getting okay. it now, and they're getting it uh, in the beginning as well. Great. So Climate Change Realty, use that at www.nudefoodsmarket.com. And um, if you use it at checkout, you will get $30 off your first order. Usually I only give $20, but this has been so fun. I'm going to do $30 off your first order. $30 off your first offer, zero waste, Amazing products, mostly organic, mostly plant-based foods as well. I'm going to yep. try it out this coming week. Verity, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was so fun. No worries. All right, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate, the official podcast of Climate Change Realty. If you are very passionate about these issues and you know anyone considering buying or selling a home anywhere in the USA... then please visit ccrboulder.com today.